Chapter Three of the Ghost Girl by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: The Unseen Visitor. Jeffrey's part of the search was a mere pretense. Togo and I looked everywhere, down in the studio and up in the loft, but for the greater part of the time, Jeffrey sat in his chair, staring dully out of the window and getting whiter and whiter every minute. When I had satisfied myself that we had really exhausted the possibilities, and that the portrait of the girl in the white satin gown was really nowhere in the studio, I dismissed Togo with a nod, went up behind Jeffrey, and laid my hand on his shoulder. I didn't intend to take him by surprise. He'd have heard me coming, had he not been sunk so far in the very deepest abstraction. As it was, he gave a little shudder under my touch, and fainted dead away. I laid him on the floor, and loosened his collar, but finally I had to get some cold water, and dash it in his face in order to bring him to. Then I gathered him up, and with a little help from himself, got him safely ensconced in his big deep Morris chair. I'm sorry I made such a fool of myself, he said limply. I don't know why it is that people apologize for fainting, but they always do. Forget about it, said I. You were in worse shape than I realized when you went away two months ago. If I'd known how bad you were, I think I'd have gone with you. And you're not quite right yet. Madeline and I will figure out in a little while what's best for you to do in the meantime you stop worrying as i said forget it jeffrey laughed it wasn't a pleasant laugh to hear forget it he echoed stop worrying or else said i struck with a new idea tell me all about it i imagine that will be better after all it's nothing but a nightmare said Geoffrey. That's all it can possibly be. Exactly, I said, and the only way to wake yourself out of a nightmare is to bring it out in the daylight, reduce it to cold facts. Tell it, no matter how it sounds. I've none of your imagination, nor any of those wonderful intuitions of yours, but I do lay claim to a certain amount of common sense, and perhaps I may be able to help you. Will you promise— Geoffrey asked, to believe what I tell you. Oh, I don't mean to ask you not to think me a deliberate liar, he went on, interpreting my look of surprise at his request. I mean, will you promise to regard me as a sane person recounting observed facts? Promise, when I have got through, not to come over and pat me on the back and tell me what I need as hypophosphites and strychnine. I'm not a wobbly neurasthenic suffering from hallucinations. If my story sounds like a bunch of phonograph records from Bedlam, you're to promise to believe it's the story's fault, not mine. If I felt an uncanny sort of excitement over his prologue, I did my best not to show it. I loaded and lighted my pipe, pretty deliberately, before I answered, and if the hand that held the match shook a little, I hoped he wouldn't notice it. All right, said I. Fire away. Do you remember, 
he began that two years ago i spent the winter in paris remember i exclaimed didn't madeline and i visit you a whole week in your apartment there did either you or madeline notice anything queer about me then or did anything happen that you wondered about i hesitated a little over my answer i might as well have spoken out for he noticed the little change in my manner instantly i see you did why really it was nothing said i you may remember the incident yourself we all came into the studio together one afternoon after a little sightseeing expedition and we saw lying in the middle of the floor a woman's handkerchief both madeline and i naturally supposed it was hers i went over toward it to pick it up but you saw it just then picked it up yourself glanced at it and slipped it in your pocket it struck us both as a little queer not what you did but the way you did it as if somehow you didn't want to be questioned evidently you knew the handkerchief wasn't madeline's and you seemed a little embarrassed at finding it there we had all been off together so that whoever dropped it must have been there in the studio while we were out i stopped there rather awkwardly but geoffrey with a little movement of impatience told me to go on what did you think about it he asked how did you explain it oh if i'm going to be frank you must be why we both remembered said i feeling for my words a little lamely that you hadn't originally planned to go with us that afternoon so it seemed to us that the owner of the handkerchief must have come in well must have been enough at home there to get in when there was no one there to receive her and waited for you a while and then gone away and you made i suppose the conventional explanation said geoffrey certainly you couldn't have been expected to make any other especially when i put the handkerchief in my pocket that way and seemed not to want to talk about it but it wasn't the right explanation drew i'm not a puritan said i but somehow i'm glad to hear that we both felt a little uncomfortable about it though we've never discussed it since your manner seemed a little different after it too i suppose that was because you guessed what we must be thinking no said geoffrey i never thought of it that way until this morning but i'll have to go back and begin at the beginning you know i thought i was awfully lucky to get that studio in the first place there isn't a better one in paris the man who had it he's a prosperous well-known painter had a long lease on it and a lot of work to do and it never occurred to me when i asked him if he knew where i could get a studio that there was any possibility of his giving up his but he offered it to me in a hesitating sort of way saying that he meant to find another and thought he could get one the other side of the impasse i asked him why in the world he was moving out of that one to go into one not so good across the street and all he said at first was that he'd taken a dislike to it it had got on his nerves and he couldn't paint there i wanted to know what had got on his nerves and he wouldn't tell me i wouldn't offer it to anyone else he said at last but you're such a sensible chap that maybe you won't mind mind what i asked him again but still he wouldn't tell me it's ten to one a hundred to one there won't be anything 
that was all he would say he was a cranky temperamental sort of cuss so i didn't think any more about it blessed my good luck and moved in i didn't find anything for about a week and then i asked i tried to say the words casually but it wasn't easy get the geography of the place well in your mind first he said you remember there was a little hall with a kitchenette to the right of it and then the salon and two bedrooms straight along in a row with a corridor on the inside when you get to the end of the corridor you turn to the left and come out in the loft of the studio the studio floor is a half story down by a flight of steps there is a door at the other end of the studio that is reached by a flight of iron steps outside so that models and such can come straight to the studio through the court without coming into the apartment yes said i i've got it straight i remembered it pretty well anyway go on and you understand don't you he continued that there's another apartment and studio on the other side of the court exactly corresponding to mine only left-handed the end walls of the studios come together and the same flight of iron stairs serves both studio doors that's clear isn't it i nodded go on said i what did you find at the end of a week jeffrey shrugged his shoulders nothing he said nothing that i can tell about even to you without feeling rather an ass why i came in just about four o'clock one afternoon in november it was dark of course let myself in by the apartment door not the studio door you understand let myself in with my latch-key and lit the gas in the hall the minute i did it i knew that someone else had just been there i knew that whoever it was was in the next room the salon mind you i didn't see anything nor hear anything i just knew it no there's nothing uncanny about that i've got some sort of extra sense that often tells me those things when the people in question are just ordinary everyday living people i call it an extra sense perhaps it's actually only an abnormal sense of smell but too subtle to be recognized as such as you know i didn't keep any servant that winter i had an old femme de menage who came every morning to clean up and then went away she hadn't any business there in the afternoon but still she could have got in she had a key and she might perfectly well have come back when she thought i'd be out oh to steal a few candles or a basket of coal or something they all do that so it didn't startle me at all or give me any queer sensations to know that there was someone in the place i took off my hat and overcoat after i'd lighted the gas and went into the salon well there was no one there but the same sense told me that whoever it was had gone on into the adjoining room that seemed queer because i ought to have heard her moving about but i struck another match and went on there was no one there either but i followed what i can only call the scent which was just as definite real a thing as what a hound follows the trail by out into the corridor and down to the turning and into the loft and down across the studio to the outside studio door and i was just as sure when i got to that door that someone 
had gone out of it less than half a minute before as i was when i came in that there was someone there you heard nothing all the while i asked not a sound he said except the noise i was making myself and that wasn't much and you saw nothing no said geoffrey well i suppose you will think he was right about it that it did sound silly that it was a confession even a nervous fidgety woman would have been almost ashamed to make and you may think that if i had been the common-sense level-headed friend i professed to be i should have told him that his experience was nothing more than an attack of the creeps and that he was a fool to think twice about it i'd have done that if i could but the fact was i couldn't to begin with i knew that what geoffrey said about his possession of an extra sense was the sober literal truth i would trust that sense of his as far as i would trust one of the regular five senses in a normal man when he said he knew in that inexplicable way that someone was in the salon when he opened the hall door it meant as much to me as if another had said i saw someone standing there granting that and i had to grant it the thing became a very curious mystery you didn't miss anything i asked nothing had been taken geoffrey shook his head the trouble is he went on with the possession of a sense like that you never can really believe in yourself you may know you have it you may be utterly unable to disbelieve you have it but your common sense won't accept an unsupported report of it it insists on telling you that you are a fool with a head full of fancies and it not only prevents you from telling other people about it it won't let you take ordinary common-sense means for solving the mystery i thought about the thing for a week it didn't happen again in that time and i had about persuaded myself there was nothing to it but imagination then one evening when i was coming home from the restaurant where i dined i saw a light in my studio my first thought was to go straight up to the studio door by the iron stair then i recollected that the sound of anyone coming up that stair was perfectly audible in the studio from the moment you set foot on the lower step it was a spiral stair and you couldn't go up very fast whoever was in the studio would have ample warning i was coming and plenty of time to get out through the apartment while i was letting myself in the other way so i went up the other stairs as softly as i could had my key ready flung the door open and rushed down the corridor to the loft as i turned the corner i heard the studio door shut the studio was dark when i got into it but one of the candles had just been put out i could smell it i scrambled up on the back of a big breton settle from which i could see out of the studio light into the court i am perfectly sure that i was up there looking out of the window before anyone who had just shut my studio door could have had time to get down the iron stairs and across the court there wasn't any other way out the court wasn't dark for the two hallways were well lighted and there was another bright light in the arched entrance to the court from the street well i looked and looked but that court was deserted End of chapter 3